Drafting Archetypes is brought to you by Game Grid Lehigh. Game Grid Lehigh is an amazing place to buy and sell Magic the Gathering singles. Whether you're building a new cube or crafting your new constructed deck, Game Grid Lehigh is the place to do it. Got a draft coming up with some friends? Buy some seal product here and get it quick. So click the referral link in the description to help out the show. And don't forget to use the code DRAFTPRO10 to get 10% off on your next order at gglehigh.com. Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week I'm going to be talking about blue-black in Brothers War. As always, notes are available for patrons who wish to follow along at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. So this week I ran a poll for uh, what I would discuss, as usual, and there was a tie between uh, blue-black and red-green. So I, I figured I would break the tie and I chose blue-black, but given the tie and that I won't likely have time to talk about any other archetypes, I wanted to say a few words about red-green. So quick hits on red-green. I think uh, one good plan is to have as many three mana cards that make power stones as possible. So opportunist and uh, explosion and arbalist. And then Mishra's Juggernaut, I think, is kind of the good five mana common artifact that you can play on turn four if you power stone on three. And then like some Boulder Branch Golems, you can have combat tricks that play well with the Boulder Branch Golems. A lot of things in common in this deck potentially with like the Stalwart Green decks, but you can basically play it as like a proactive ramp deck where you're not really like taking a turn off to ramp. And then you're like a bit ahead because of the power stone. And then you just like, you're kind of, you know, a normal green deck, but a little more aggressively positioned because of the Mishra's Juggernauts that clearly want you to be attacking. The other approach, if you don't see a lot of power stone stuff, is to be more aggressive, uh, specifically with like three power uh, two drops and uh, a lot of combat tricks. So like, uh, this is one of the best decks for the 3-1 Ward 2, because like, if you try to use a combat trick on it, your opponent will not often have mana up to use a removal spell in response. So they're often gonna try to block it uh, if you know, you're attacking them because they don't wanna take three and they don't wanna spend a lot of mana to target your two drop. And then uh, that lets you use Gaia's Gift and Whirling Strike to kill their blocker and push a bunch of damage. So if you just play like a large number of Gaia's Gifts and Whirling Strikes and some Giant Growths, and then a lot of three power uh, two drops, um, and then any other aggressive uh, tramplers you see, like this is a really good deck for uh, Giant Cinder Maw, that can be another effective approach with Red Green. That's it, that's my quick hits on Red Green. So Blue Black. Blue-black is the second worst performing archetype. Blue-green is the worst by quite a bit. Uh, and then blue-black is kind of in the bottom of the rest of the pack. So this is another spot where, uh, unless it's like you have really good blue and black rares that are pulling you to draft blue-black, or it's clearly wide open, you get like late Evangel of Synthesis or whatever, you probably shouldn't be trying to draft blue-black unless you think that you like really know something other players don't know. Given that it's not a successful archetype, by default, I would expect that to mean that you don't want to do what other people are doing when they draft this deck. So anytime an archetype's not very successful, 
I feel like either it's just bad or if you're going to play it, you need to like do something different with it. You need to subvert expectations in some way to uh, overcome the kind of default uh, poor results that the archetype yields for people collectively. This deck is theoretically the draw two deck. That mechanic is not very well supported at common, and the uncommons that pay it off are pretty good. Evangel of Synthesis is really good. Thopter mechanic is really good. Gurgling Anointer is solid if you have sufficient support for it. So it's not like you shouldn't do the blue-black thing, but I don't know. You, you need to do something different than just like playing whatever cards are obvious to people. So digging further into stats and results on 17 lands, there's some weird things going on. The best performing commons in blue-black on 17 lands are pretty unexpected. Like, the top five in order are Prison Sentence, ahead of all of the on-color removal, Moment of Defiance, a card that uh, is taken something like nine point something on average, Boulder Branch Golem, a colorless card that requires green to cast for less than seven mana, Disfigure, and Gix's Caress in that order. Those are the top performing commons in blue-black. The next commons are, again in order, Falaji Archaeologist, ahead of Overwhelming Remorse, then Combat Courier, Scrapwork Mutt, Scrapwork Cohort, all colorless, then Mightstone's Animation, followed by Energy Refractor, and Desynchronize. That is a very bizarre list of cards. There's not a particularly coherent theme or strategy or color. You know, looking at it, it kind of says like, you know, it reinforces don't do the blue and black thing. In fact, maybe while you're at it, try not to play too many blue and black cards because like the best performing cards are largely colorless. So that was a bit weird. So I looked at the uh, recent blue black decks that trophied and I noticed a few things. Every deck that I looked at, I looked at, I don't know, five to 10, had at least one Evangel of Synthesis, usually two, which makes sense because if you're going to draft blue-black and do well with it, it's probably going to be very open, and that's a strong card and one that'll go late when you should be drafting this. Often, Thopter Mechanic and or Gurgling Anointer. They also, more notably, usually had one to two Moment of Defiance and one to two Disfigure. The main blue cards that I saw a lot were Combat Courier, Mightstone's Animation, and Machine Over Matter. Not at all surprising. Those are kind of my favorite blue cards in general at Common. And the decks all had really low curves, and they looked more like tempo decks than control decks, though often they had, you know, one or two, like, legitimate bombs. These are decks that trophied, that's not surprising, especially since they trophied in a weak archetype, you need something going for you. So I saw, you know, a good number of Precursor Golems and Portal to Phyrexias and Gix's Commands and, you know, stuff like that. Looking back at the stats and stuff, despite the fact that the successful version of this deck looks like a tempo deck, almost every common in the archetype has a positive improvement when drawn. I bring this up because I think improvement when drawn is kind of the most misunderstood stat on 17 lands. This is a deck that doesn't do well, but all of the cards in it, even the bad ones, have a positive improvement when drawn, which some people would take to mean that they're good. That's not what positive improvement when drawn implies. Improvement when drawn is, I really can't stress enough how misleading it is for 
taking a snapshot to figure out which card is better than which other card. What I believe the positive improvement when drawn on basically every card in this archetype indicates is blue-black is a lot more likely to win when it sees more of its cards, and when it's win- when it wins, it's likely to see a lot of its cards. Blue-black, despite being kind of tempo-y, plays reasonably good long games, and has a lot of card draws. You see a lot of cards. So that means that in the games that you win, where your deck is functioning, more of your cards are present, whereas in the games where you lose, fewer of your cards are present. Um, So all of the cards end up getting the, hey, I was here when I won bonus, because that's just the nature of the game. Similarly, or conversely, I suppose, every aggressive, like three mana creature in every format has a negative improvement when drawn for the opposite reason. Those decks want the game to end fast. When you see a lot of your cards, you're usually losing. So this is both to say, hey, blue-black wins, you know, long games or games where it sees a lot of cards, even though it's playing a low curve. That's kind of interesting. And also, don't look at improvement when drawn as a snapshot about card quality. Going a bit further into, you know, some deep dives on stats and stuff. Weak stone subjugation is heavily played, often appeared in winning lists. I still don't recommend prioritizing it. It wins less, like it has a lower game and hand win rate than cards that are uh, played less than it and taken lower than it. This is to say, hey, look, there's this objective measure that says it's bad in addition to uh, my known preference against uh, auras that attempt to answer creatures. Weak stone subjugation is fine. Uh, it does often trade at a mana advantage, but as always, I'm not that impressed by anything that removes creatures at sorcery speed. Um, it's very hard to generate like any sort of real blowout with sorcery speed removal. And then of course, also it leaves an object in play that your opponent can use in some way and stuff. It has all the normal problems that exist with auras that attempt to answer things. The biggest sleepers, cards that go late and are underplayed that perform very, very well, are Moment of Defiance, Philagi Archaeologist, and Machine Overmatic. All cards that I highly endorse in general play frequently, and I think that drafting these cards higher and playing them more in blue-black decks is the easiest way to have more success with blue-black. Literally just if you start looking for and drafting and playing with Moment of Defiance, Philagi Archaeologist, and Machine Over Matter, I think you'll do a lot better with Blue Black than if you're not doing that. Obviously, Machine Over Matter and Archaeologist kind of imply the same things from Mono Blue that you're really looking for Mightstone's animation, which of course has a lot of synergy with the Draw 2 mechanic because Mightstone's animation wants you to play other artifacts that cantrip and then it itself cantrips, so you end up getting a lot of uh, triggers for your draw two stuff, in addition to just doing a thing that's inherently good. I'll note that Gix's Caress was in the top five performing commons. I didn't mention it much after that, but uh, I think one of the biggest strengths of Gix's Caress is, of course, that it gives you a power stone for Might Stone's animation. And also, the curve specifically of Gix's Caress into Might Stone's animation is really good because, of course, you get to uh, make sure that your opponent doesn't have an answer to that 4-4. Four, four. 
uh, when you caress them, and then you get to make a 4-4 and draw a card, and um, that's a really good sequence. Then, you know, as I mentioned, you basically want that to be the top of your curve. You want to just have like a lot of two drops. You know, one drops are good where you can get them, especially combat courier and disfigure. You want to like have something on the table so that you don't fall too far behind when you caress. And then when you might stand animation, you are now way ahead and you can start attacking and you're not losing a race. And with Moment of Defiance, even if there was a race that it looked like you were losing, you can swing that. And then, of course, since you're supposed to be prioritizing Mightstone's animations, you end up with these big creatures. When you Moment of Defiance them, you're gaining six life and doing a whole bunch of damage. Trench Stalker, notably, is, you know, the best expensive card for the deck. It's often good to have one, sometimes two of them if you have to, as like a way to you know, get out of range, um, turn the corner if you, if your opponent is more aggressive or has a more aggressive start than you. But five mana cards that you can't cast with power stones are tricky in this format because you often play low land counts and kind of rely on power stones for your expensive stuff. If you don't have Trench Shocker, I don't think that's like a problem for your deck, but it does mean that you want to be even more sure that you have Moment of Defiance because I do think life gain um, is really important for blue-black. And failing either of those, then, you know, you're looking for boulder branch golems and some more power stones. You know, there are a lot of black commons that don't fit the deck well. Emergency Weld, for example, is fine, but not really what you're looking for most of the time because your stuff's kind of generally not that great to return. Like your best plays are like Mightstone's animations that you can't get back with Emergency Weld. And your creatures are mostly like little filler cantrippy guys that don't, you know, returning them isn't very high impact. And then all of the black like sacrifice stuff, like Gixian Infiltrator and Thraxidemon is not really you know, doesn't have great synergies with what you're doing. Like theoretically, a Thraxidemon is a way to, you know, trigger draw two stuff, but that should be very easy in blue-black and it's kind of like too slow and a good way to be behind. You're okay at, you know, overwhelming remorse, but you generally have a relatively low creature count. And so even if you are, you know, playing like Flagey Archaeologist and milling yourself and stuff, you're not going to have that many creatures in your graveyard most of the time. So it's going to be like a little more expensive than you'd like, which is why I think it's not totally unreasonable to prioritize disfigure over uh, overwhelming remorse here. And then, you know, rely on machine over matter uh, as your answer to big creatures. And then, you know, combat courier and scrapwork mutt are both great. Uh, you know, mutt, regardless of whether you have a lot of access to red mana, you know, you would prefer to have energy refractor to go with your might stones animation and then let you get your mutt back at some point but you are looking for those uh cheap creatures that give you your draw triggers and stuff like that and then thopter mechanic and evangel of synthesis uh are really important they're a lot stronger than common twos and you know really good ways to like play the you know tempo ahead on board kind of game that this deck is looking to play or at the very least, not falling behind. So yeah, that's what I got for you. Thanks for listening. And I'm going to turn it over to chat for questions. Um, while I'm 
uh, getting any of those questions. I want to thank the newest patrons of uh, Drafting Archetypes, Sean and Abe. Thank you so much for the support. And for anyone else who is interested in supporting the podcast and you know getting access to um, some of those perks, check out patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. I will note there's an upcoming arena open that is Kaldheim Limited. For anyone who needs a refresher or introduction to that format, Drafting Archetypes was going through all of Kaldheim, so feel free to check out the archives for some help and refreshers there. Also, I'm a big fan of Kaldheim Draft. I've uh, done a lot of it, and if you're looking for coaching for any of the upcoming events, you can get uh, coaching discounts as a patron of Drafting Archetypes. Um, if you're looking for coaching for help with you know any of the uh, upcoming big events, there's a Star City Games uh, 20k limited pre-release event in Indianapolis, in addition to uh, Pro Tour um, and the Arena Opens, what have you. All right, questions from chat. Is Mishra's Juggernaut a card you like in blue-black, assuming you have a few refractors in the deck? It's not a card I would prioritize in blue-black by default, but... If I have, you know, more than a few, like with Refractor, it's still going to cost you seven mana to get back from your graveyard. But if you're like splashing red with, you know, maybe like an Evolving Wilds or two and a Mountain, and you have, you know, a couple of Mutts and maybe also a couple of Archaeologists and or Stern Lessons, so you're kind of routinely discarding or milling it, and you're like looking for unearthed stuff and that's the one you can find, I don't think it's horrible. I think Stern Lesson in particular uh, is pretty important to this equation since it both gives you the Power Stone to get the Juggernaut back, but also gives you the Power Stone if you want to just cast the Juggernaut on turn four. So yeah, I, I think you need a sufficient density of like actual looting to want Juggernaut, and it's not better for that role than other Unearth cards, but I do think it can be serviceable there. And then as is always the case with Juggernaut, the more power stones you're making on three, the better it is by quite a bit. Can this archetype work in a sort of green stalwart variant? Yes, anything can work in a stalwart green variant. You can you can literally splice any archetype into a stalwart green core to have kind of an accelerated version of that with uh, a little bit more access to um, you know, random splash good cards and stuff, and it's fine. Looking to mostly do different things, yes. Uh, this isn't the easiest archetype to splice into Stellar Green, since neither of the color pairs are green, but it doesn't matter. Interestingly, one of my two strongest decks in Brothers War Premier Draft is a blue-black draw two deck, but it had two mechanics, two evangels, two puppeteers, three couriers, etc. Yep, I mean, the uncommon and rare support for the draw two stuff is very good. That's all in line with the play a lot of cheap cards thing that I'm saying the deck wants to do. The problem is that the draw two thing isn't really supported at common, and like there are other, especially black, archetypes and mechanics that are supported at common, which means that if you're not getting a lot of those uncommons and rares, your deck isn't very good, and you end up playing like really kind of like off plan 
uh, cards or cards that are like looking for synergies that your deck's not really about. But when you do get all the uncommons and rares, then yes, the draw two thing's very good. With some two drops uh, that loot and a lot of draw, how many lands do you typically play in blue-black? I think 16 is where I typically end up in blue-black. Like I'm typically 16 in this format. I think it's hard to go much lower than that. And I would say I'm 16 to 17 more than I'm 15 to 16. Because, like, your looting can discard lands, and there's no particular problem with it discarding lands if you end up with too many. Because you have a bunch of card draw, you really don't want to miss land drops because you want to be able to, you know, hit your lands to cast double spell to cast two spells. Like, you're not that worried about running out of stuff to do with your mana, which means that you're not that worried about flooding, which means you should play a few more than you would with a similar curve with a deck that didn't draw as many cards. But, you know, you don't want to go 17 plus very often, again, because... You're really looking to have a low curve. You're looking to play, you know, like eight to 12, two drops or something, some one drops and like not, you know, one or two cards that cost like five plus and like three to five cards that cost four. And then the rest of your deck costs less than that. So I would say, you know, if I had to lock in a number for a blue black deck without actually seeing the deck, I'd say 16. Can you talk a bit more about archaeologists in this deck? I'd love to. Is it mostly there to gunk up the ground? Because uh, the graveyard synergy for this doesn't seem particularly good. Like the blocking part is pretty solid, but it's almost more of not like a tutor, but almost like a scry. Like it's digging for your good cards if your good cards are your non-creature spells. So like if your good cards are your, you know, Mightstones animations and disfigures and remorses and uh, machine over matters, um, then like it's actively getting you closer to those, whether it's finding them or not. Um, and then, you know, gumming up the ground is of course, good, having a body that, so that you can, you know, use your Moment of Defiance. Like, you would prefer to gain a lot of life with Moment of Defiance on something big, but, you know, it's very, very easy to get archaeologists into combat, uh, right? Like, your opponent will always attack into it, and so if they attack into it with a, you know, like, any sort of tutor or whatever, you can block Moment of Defiance, gain some life, kill their creature, like, draw a card. So it's a nice, like, reliable body to target with your moment of defiance in addition to like finding your good stuff also like a one four is pretty hard to attack into with like any of the aggressive format creatures in this format there are a lot of three ones and so when you're just like looking for a blocker it does a very good job of that and so it, it kind of doesn't matter that much if you miss or hit because a one four is like a pretty above rate defensive creature if you want a defensive creature and then you're you know looking for really good stuff so i guess that's what i would say about it and then i mean also you have a good amount of like milling and looting and you do want to prioritize on earth creatures like i mentioned that you know uh even the off-color unearthed creatures like Scrapwork Mutt and Scrapwork Cohort performed better in this deck than most on-color cards so this is to say I wouldn't underestimate the amount of graveyard synergy in this deck either. In blue-black, if you have the bomb rares, um, how are you looking to protect them? Counter spells, Ashnod's Intervention, Emergency Weld? Well, that really depends on what your rare is, right? Like, some some of the bomb rares are like Gix's Caress, which is not a card that you protect. It's, or I mean, no, sorry, not uh, Gix's Command. 
which isn't a card you protect. It's just a card that you find. And that's another reason that, you know, something like Archaeologist is really good. It helps find that uh, command. Some bomb rares, you know, need to be protected and some don't. Some are found in different ways. Um, in general, I don't think that counter spells are good for protecting things in this format because, you know, the two mana counter spells don't counter things that, like, target your stuff. They counter, like, artifacts and creatures and stuff. And then the three mana, like, three mana is too much mana to use to protect a thing, right? Because, like, you play it and then your opponent will answer it as soon as possible if they have an answer, and you're probably not going to have a full three mana untapped. Astronaut's Intervention is a, you know, more realistic way to protect something, but it's a pretty bad card. Emergency Weld depends on what you're trying to protect it from and what kind of thing it is, but, uh, you know, if you have a bomb that you can weld back, weld up is always a lot better. You know, um, weld, I talked about it in, like, very early in green-black, uh, I mentioned, you know, you have a lot of recursion there, so you want, like, you know, the strength of your recursion is dependent on the strength of the strongest things you can recur. That same principle applies anywhere. The better your weld targets are, the more you want weld. But I would say, you know, a lot of the best bombs, you don't have to go out of your way, right? Like, you just have a deck that's good, and then you have this, like, card that when you draw it, increases your win rate by some amount. And if your opponent deals with it, then you don't have it, and you have to win with your normal cards but you know your normal cards aren't any worse at winning than they would be if you didn't have your bomb and you still like have that extra percentage in for your other games do you think gurgling anointer is actually a trap because its two modes are sort of contrary to one another unless you're looping them together and blue black doesn't have a lot of sacrifice outlets it's two modes so its two modes are attack and block grow and die uh, as i see it it's like a potentially aggressive evasive creature that takes a little while to get going but blocks reasonably when you first play it with a consolation prize if it gets dealt with i i don't really see that as i don't i don't see a contradiction there and i like even if it had strength in different places and was hard to take advantage of all of it, um, like Raging Kavu, the flash-haste creature, where its two keywords don't make any sense because when you flash it in, it doesn't matter that it has haste. And when you play it with haste, it doesn't matter it as Like, when you play it to attack on your turn, it doesn't matter it as flash. Like, the fact that there are those two contradictory keywords doesn't mean it's a bad card. It just means that you have to evaluate the card based on what it actually does and how it actually plays. I, th I think Gurgling Anointer is reasonably strong if you're good at triggering it, but you know, I, I don't think it's anywhere near as good as like the other draw two uncommon payoffs like uh, Thopter Mechanic and Evangel of Synthesis. You think of Anointer as more of a red-black card. So that tells me that you're really thinking of it as a card that you want to like sacrifice to get your creatures back. I think it's a lot easier to make it grow in blue-black. Well, so you're saying that you like it in red-black because you want to be proactive in this format, but sacrificing it to get a creature back, that's not proactive, right? Then you're just turning it into a like very expensive raised dead that you have to jump through a lot of hoops to accomplish. 
I think if you're trying to be proactive in the format, you should just play it and grow it and attack with it. And then if your opponent deals with it, you get your consolation prize. But like, I, I don't think your goal with this card should be to sacrifice it because it's just like such a bad emergency weld if that's your goal. Like emergency weld also gives you an object to sacrifice. So you can't even be like, well, the thing that I got out of it was I got to sacrifice something because emergency weld gives you a one one that you can sacrifice and then gets you your thing back without, you know, any questions about how big it is or any hoops that you have to go through to grow it enough to do that. You don't see an opponent dealing with it in a way that causes it to die. That's kind of the point, right? Like this is one of those threat of activation things. Like the fact that they that if they killed it, you would get something back leads them to not use those removal spells on it. And so that's one of those things where like you don't see it do its thing, but it's still doing something. But again, I think that, you know, the part of the anointer that's good is that it's a growing flying creature. The recursion thing is, you know, mostly just a threat that helps protect it, essentially. Eager to hear about the future uh, topics slash next set. Uh, the one set reveal is next Tuesday. That sounds believable. I haven't looked at the exact uh, schedule. I am not at this exact moment completely sure if next week I'm going to try to do a, like, looking back on Brothers War slash big picture slash if you're doing a Brothers War flashback event in a few years, this is the episode to look, to listen to to get a refresher and get caught up to speed all at once, or if I'm going to start talking about Phyrexia slash one. If I can talk about one, there's a good chance that I'll do that, um, just because I know everyone's more excited about, you know, new things than uh, things they're trying to figure out how to play with rather than things they're done playing with. And so while it can be nice to have an episode for archival slash historic purposes, it's a little bit less exciting. So yeah, I'm pretty sure that we don't have everything next week. Next week, my plan is actually to talk about uh, Dominaria Remastered. I want to do one episode on Dominaria Remastered. I know there's some interest in that format. I think it's worth uh, devoting a single episode to kind of uh, overview big picture stuff, maybe my favorite archetype. I'll have had a chance to play with this at some then, which I have not done yet. So next week will be Dominari Remastered. And then after that, I believe we'll get into Phyrexia. And that's going to do it for this week. So thanks for listening. I hope everyone enjoyed Brothers War as much as I did and enjoyed uh, hearing about it and learning about it with me on uh, drafting archetypes. And as I said, we'll be back next week for Dominaria Remastered just for a single week and then on to looking ahead at Phyrexia. So thanks for listening and excited to get to those upcoming topics next week. All right. Bye for you.